Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Catherine is back from Madrid. The tournament is done. Uh, Matt has just returned from the football. His voice might be a little bit gravelly because he's had five goals to celebrate today. Uh, Matt, is that accurate? Yes, five goals and lots of singing, mocking John Terry. It was, uh, <laughs> was, it was a pretty perfect 90 minutes. Textbook day. Catherine and I less enthusiastic about football. Uh, football football's accurate? over i think it's had it it's had its day okay fine well we'll move on then and talk about tennis and given that uh, this is the tennis podcast that would seem fitting uh this edition of the tennis podcast is brought to you in association with on location the premium hospitality and experience provider on location provides packages via steve fergal's international tennis tours to all four of the grand slam tournaments including the u.s open which is on sale now and they have brilliant packages to the Labour Cup in Vancouver, which takes place 22nd to the 24th of September. And we can offer you, Tennis Podcast listeners, a 5% discount to Labour Cup weekend. Uh, go to the URL tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast. That's tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. Click the Laver Cup discount section and enter the code VANCOUVER, V-A-N-C-O-U-V-E-R. If you like, got a dodgy spelling uh, tendency like myself uh, so vancouver is your code when you purchase an eligible 2023 labor cup travel package on on location exp.com between may the 4th 2023 at 9 a.m eastern time and may 31st 2023 at 11:59 eastern time the discount does not apply to rocky mountaineer train tour packages for the labor cup i want to find out more about those though <laughs> uh, you can only use the code vancouver once and it cannot be used with other discounts or previous purchases you'll see your savings when you add an eligible package to your cart and use the code at checkout this offer does not apply to hotel packages or other events from steve fergal's international tennis stores or on location and its subsidiaries if you have any questions email info at toursfortennis.com see on location exp.com's purchase policy for more information Catherine how is Madrid <laughs> generally speaking that's a tough question now that I'm mentally on a Rocky Mountains train package <laughs> in Canada um, <laughs> we're googling that after this <laughs> I think I know it I know what it is it's on my it's on my bucket list it's okay yeah I mean Vancouver is very much on my bucket list I have to say that sounds that sounds like a great trip. Um, yeah. What what was happening last week? Madrid, Madrid. I was there this morning. Um, how? What was your question again, David? Well, I asked how it was, and, and actually, let's just start with with how the final of the women's singles was. And in fact, I mean, the finals generally were brilliant, weren't they? But let's start with the women's singles, which ended up with the match we all hoped we would get from day one when this. T- draw was made because I mean I, I know we talk about rivalries a lot but it really does feel like we've got one now is um am, am I over egging it on the basis of two successive 
finals between the same two players and throwing Elena Rabakina and her achievements for the for the year for good measure. But these two, at the moment, they feel like I wouldn't say a sure thing every single tournament, but but I I always look at them as the players that are going to be the favourites to get to the finals. And I think I would say that on any surface right now. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think it is unquestionably a rivalry and a big deal rivalry in terms of storyline and narrative. It's dominating women's tennis at the moment and, and rightly should. Whether it's a lasting rivalry, we don't know. Remains to be seen. I certainly hope so, but we know we know a lot can happen. But right at this moment, a hundred percent it is the rivalry that we've been wanting and I slightly don't love the narrative about the this gaping hole of desperation for a rivalry in women's tennis and this is the answer to it because you know Sabalenka and Rabatkina have been rivalrying for the for the first part of this season and Sabalenka and and Barty had a had a rivalry there for a bit it was all too fleeting um, so we have had moments of really promising rivalry, like what we're in at the moment with Sabalenka and Svante. We just haven't had that really lasting, baked-in, years-long legacy-building rivalry. This very well could be that, and we hope it will be that. But for the moment, I think we just need to appreciate it for what it is, which is a rivalry that... I think has every ingredient that you want. A bit of spice. I don't think they're friends at all. I still don't know whether there's any specific reason for that. It might just be that they're both too competitive and intense to to be friends with a close rival. rival. There might be something more personal. I don't know. But it certainly feels edgy when they're on the court together. And it more than that, it feels unbelievably intense you just feel like you're Mm. sucked into a vortex when they play and you can't take your eyes off it this was the one match this week that I you know I I put my phone down I I didn't there there wasn't really a moment where I, I I felt at risk of being distracted at all I was just totally penis in a scribble locked in for the whole thing. And P.S., the the quality of the tennis was incredibly high as well. It, mm. it, those, are, those are the ingredients for me. Quality, you know, complementary game styles and intensity. It's the intensity that I want to see. Mm. Matter, I think we need to add penis and a scribble to tennis podcast terminology the website page <laughs> just just so that everybody knows what page we're on but that's what uh, taylor fritz drew when he wanted to uh, explain that he's locked in he thought he was drawing a padlock he was actually not he was drawing a penis in a scribble so uh the, <laughs> um this match itself i mean i think catherine puts it very well about you you don't end up reaching for a phone to to fill in the blanks of the match and to kind of distract you when it's not very good because it was always good. It was always intense. It was always exciting. It ended Sabalenka winning 6-3, 3-6, What what was your take on the match? Where was it won and lost? And and were you en- were you surprised in the end that it went as it did once Sviantek had leveled it at Settle? No, I don't think I was actually because I think a defining feature of Sabalenka this year has been that when matches start to go against her, she's able to stem the tide in a way that she never really used to be able to do. Sabalenka matches used to unravel and they and they used to become a bit of a mess. And I didn't always enjoy watching them, to be to be quite honest. But I don't think there's a player I've enjoyed watching more than Sabalenka this year. And I think a lot of that is is the intensity that, that Catherine's spoken about. And I just trust her now. I just know that even if she has a few games where things aren't quite working, she will get it back on track. And I think that is, I think that is the difference, actually, between Sabalenka this year and, and in previous years. And I love watching it. And it was just such a gripping match I think you know both singles finals were and they were 
for different reasons because the men's final surprised me in how competitive it was whereas the women's final I expected it to be great and it really delivered on that hype and I think that's always such a good feeling when you go in with high expectations and and those are met and it was a final where the momentum was just swinging back and forth all the time. I think it was it was three all in the first set. And then from that point on, they each won three games in a row until the end of the match. You know, it went from three all to six three, three love, three all, six three, three love, three all, six three. It was it was kind of a crazy match. You didn't you didn't really know who was going to win because the momentum was swinging back and forth and it kept feeling like they were having to raise their level, each of them to wrestle the momentum back and the quality just got higher and higher. And I absolutely loved seeing Sviontek in a match like that. It had been quite a while. I think I would probably go back to the Ostrava final of, of last year where she was involved in a you know a big match and it was a three-setter against Krejcikova. And this was similar and... I think Sviontek comes out of it with quite a lot of positives because there was there was a period in that match where I thought Sabalenka was almost unplayable in those conditions, hitting the ball that hard, that accurately. And then suddenly we were in a third set and I was like, wow, how's, how's this happened? Sviontek's playing really, really well to make that happen. Um, and for Sabalenka, I just think she was so clear in her game plan uh the first set i think she was hitting the ball 10 miles an hour harder on the backhand side than than Iga Sviontek that was really noticeable as well it felt like she went into that match with such purpose and such a point to prove you know we we spoke about how she said she wanted to play Sviontek and she delivered on that she went in with serious intent to win that and and yeah make it a rivalry and uh she did it and i just i i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was brilliant mm. you, you mentioned there that you feel as though shvantec still comes out of it with something positive and i mean to my mind nothing changes in terms of her prospects on clay for the rest of the clay court season based on this final this is a different tournament, different conditions, altitude. The ball's flying through the air in a way that I don't think it will in Rome or at Roland Garros. Um, and I think they are more classic clay court circumstances, conditions, environments for Shantek to take advantage of. But my question to you both to wrap this women's final up is based on Sabalenka, what you've seen today would you expect her to reach one or more of the next two tournaments' finals? You know, we're going to go on to the the quintessential clay court conditions now, Rome and then Paris. And she's not always been that comfortable with the clay under her feet. She looked very different to me this week and but obviously she's won this tournament before two years ago Catherine if I was if I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot do you think that this is going to carry on for her I think I haven't done my predictions yet I think I probably will end up predicting Svantec and Sabalenka to meet in the final in Rome because they both feel so reliable to me now Sabalenka included and while Clay outside of Madrid isn't isn't her favourite surface. I think she's just so good at tennis generally now um, that I, I do think she's the second best player in the world on clay um, right at this moment. Um, but, but equally, it wouldn't surprise me if Sabalenka did lose sooner. Last year in Rome, she came up against Sviontek, didn't she? I think around about the quarterfinal and lost very, very heavily, um, which is one of the reasons I think that this victory was more important for Sabalenka than it would have been for, for Sviontek, objectively. I think Sviontek was desperate for it. She was desperate to win that Madrid Open title. I could see that all week. There was, you know, we talked about it on Thursday, didn't we? There was, you know, a real no messing looking in her eye. It was, I'm coming for you, Madrid. Um, But I think, you know, Sabalenka's targeting the French Open. That's how she thinks now. She is thinking in terms of 
winning Grand Slam titles. And if they were to meet at Roland Garros, if she were to have, if she's to have a chance, I think mentally having a victory over Svantec recently and on clay is significant for her, even if on paper we'll obviously look at reasons why, you know, Madrid perhaps isn't as relevant for the Roland Garros form book. I think for her, it actually would be very relevant. Um, so, yeah, I look, I think I'll end up predicting it, but I also wouldn't be surprised at all if it doesn't happen, if that's not a completely yeah. con- contradictory answer. She sat certainly doesn't limit herself does she she thinks that she should be able to do whatever she wants to do out there that that's how good she she rates herself and i and i i kind of love that um what what about you matt would you uh would you right now be putting her in at least one of the finals i think i probably will yeah because of exactly what catherine said just just how good her level is i just think it's it's very hard to ignore her. I, I, I don't think there's there's anyone else who I would be confident of beating Sabalenka on clay just because it's clay. Maybe other than Igor Sviontek, I think Sabalenka will be a match for for anyone. I think it might come down to a bit of luck. You know, if if there was a really cold, wet, damp day in Paris and windy and just really really tough to get the ball through the court I could I could see Savalenka coming unstuck there if if something like that happened but if conditions are hot and bouncy and quick like it can be sometimes she could be really really dangerous so I think you know it, it feels like sort of small margins like that um she I, I just looked up her record she's never been beyond the third round at the French Open uh and she's she's had the one semi-final in in Rome last year against against Fiontech where she beat uh Pagula and Anisimova along the way so you know those are some good wins but maybe they're not natural clay quarters either I suppose um so difficult to say but just just with her form at the moment it it feels impossible to ignore her in that in that other half of the draw and I agree I think I think she's she's taking a lot of confidence from from beating Sviontek and I think she's also coming for Igor Sviontek's number one ranking I think that's that's Mm. a big motivation for her and you know Sviontek's had so many points to defend and Sabalenka's just been just been racking them up It, it, it could well change over it at some point this year it's and that might add to the rivalry element as well that that number one is kind of on the line between them as well it's oh it's all great tantalizing yeah very good well listen we've got a load to talk about in regard to to the doubles finals particularly on the women's side and actually not even the on the court for stuff you'll have no doubt heard everything that's been going on off the court before we get on to that i will we'll just cover the men's uh, singles final between uh, carlos alcaraz and jan leonard struff which is not a name i expected to be talking about in the final of the men's singles in madrid but well what no because he went out he of the tournament two weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> i mean that is catherine i mean i i can't quite remember whether that is literally unprecedented at this level for a, for a, a lucky loser as they they're called when they're losing qualifying and they get lucky and get into the main draw because somebody else gets injured then going all the way to a final of a masters 1000 i can't remember whether i've heard that that's happened or not no it hasn't happened at masters 1000 which goes back to 1990 i think was when right uh, the series was launched i mean obviously it's a bit like premier league stats in that, you know, the difference between a Premier League stat and a top flight mm. stat, um, that stat only date, dates back to the launch of what we now know as Masters 1000 events and have been known as various different things over the years. But um, that's still 33 years, so it's still it's still a good stat. Yeah, it's a, it's a good stat, and it's it's a heck of an achievement for a player who... I'd always, I suppose, regarded as one of the rank and file of the ATP Tour, a good top 50 player who comes along, beats some people when you're not really expecting it. You know, he's got this really straightforward power game. He's coming to 
to get you. He's coming after you. And I always think he's the sort of player who beats Grigor Dimitrov or Denis Shapovalov <laughs> or people with these flowery games who can do so much and we hype up such a lot, particularly me, and then along comes Jan Lennardstruff to just mess it all up for everybody. Um, he's the guy on MasterChef that comes along and just k- cooks the perfect steak and chips and they're like, well, we can't not put in fruit. <laughs> There's, you know, there's so yes. someone on the other side of the kitchen making his own pasta. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yes, he is. And my <laughs> word, did he make a steak and chips these last two weeks um, from having burnt it in qualifying? Um, but I mean, love he, that we're um, running with this. <laughs> he, he was he was amazing to watch. Just just his tennis is extraordinary, Matt. I mean, what was he doing differently in this tournament, if anything, to your eye, that got him this result? What Could you see anything different about Jan Lennon apart from him just playing better than normally? No. I mean, it, it seemed to me like he was playing his, his normal game. He was he was coming at opponents he was coming forward he was imposing himself i think he hit his backhand way better than i've than i've ever seen i think that shot has improved uh but actually while i was sort of preparing for this podcast i i went back to have a listen to what we said about Jan Lennon-Struff versus Carlos Alcaraz at Wimbledon last year because that was a that was a fantastic match it was a it was a five setter and Struff really had Alcaraz on the ropes then as well. And basically what we said was Alcaraz just sort of has moments of greatness and he can just suddenly just come up with something to separate himself from a player like Struff and get himself out of trouble. And I think that kind of was true again here because they, Struff was absolutely a match for him in, in that final for the first two sets. I... I said I enjoyed seeing Igor Sviontek in a real great battle, a three-set tussle. And I enjoyed seeing Carlos Alcaraz tested like this by by a guy who was just refusing to let Alcaraz have his own way. I think I think I feared the worst when Struff double-faulted twice in his opening service game and, and went one love down. And honestly, I was expecting a bit of a rout from that point on and for Alcaraz to just, you know, win it pretty comfortably in straight sets. But... Struff was really troubling and threatening the Alcaraz serve, something that we have spoken about a lot before, especially in Madrid, how Alcaraz's serve can can kick up and cause all sorts of problems. And Struff, or what is he, six foot five or something? He's, he's a big man. He was getting on top of that ball and just pelting returns and making making Alcaraz really uncomfortable and flustered and... Alcaraz was having to look over to his box a lot and he changed his racket at one point. He was he was really uncomfortable on the court and credit to Struff for making that happen. Um, I think he ran out of steam a bit in, in that final set. He, he There was some stat before the match that he'd he'd pretty much spent double the amount of time on, on court that Alcaraz had had. I think he'd had four or five three-set matches in a row and I think to play that attacking tennis... You need to be explosive. You need to have power in your legs. And I just think it, it went a little bit from him in, in that third set. And, and Alcaraz came up with some great shots and and won it brilliantly. But um, yeah, it was it was a very enjoyable final. And credit to Struff for making it so. Because there was a chance it was a blowout. And he just wasn't going to let that happen. Uh, and yeah, it was awesome. He got pretty rattled at times in the match, I thought, Alcaraz. There, there wasn't the same conviction in every ground stroke. And I think I think a lot of it was due to his opponent just coming straight for him and not, not being prepared to get in the sort of rallies that Alcaraz wanted to get into. And that's been a feature of, of Struff all week long and a bit, a, bit, a bit Sabalenka-like, really, just knocking an opponent out of their comfort zone, what he did did to Sitsipas and then he backed it up against Krasov. I know Krasov maybe wasn't 100% fit at the end in, the, in that semi-final, but even so, to do it to Alcaraz in front of Alcaraz's people on his court when the 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 result has already been kind of written in the stars and, and, and scripted as, as being just an inevitability and Struff just wasn't having any of that. He believes in himself and he went for it. But Catherine, in some ways, 
I I regard that as as maybe a bigger success for Alcaraz than if he'd just wiped the floor with him and played out of his mind because he he showed something else that he's got there in that final, didn't he? Yeah, I would agree, and I would apply that to his his whole week actually in Madrid. There were there were three matches really where he had to win in the face of adversity and they were all different types of adversity. He was, as we discussed in the previous podcast, bad against Emil Ruizavori. You know, he pulled it together just in the nick of time, but for a set and a half, he was bad. And then there was his quarterfinal against Karen Hashinov where uh, he was brilliant for the first set, seemed to be in control, and then the conditions changed completely. It started getting as it can in Madrid the the wind can just appear out of nowhere um and he suddenly started to really struggle and suddenly Hashinov with his big meat and potatoes uh game is uh is is in control of things and Alcaraz started to look stressed and had to find had to find new ways to to win points in in the different conditions and then you had this in in the final against Struff where Struff is seemingly for a while there seems to have figured out the Alcaraz cheat codes I mean you still have to have the ability to execute those cheat codes and as you said Matt being six foot five maybe more certainly helps you know it's a, a way to neutralize that kick serve but you still have to have the guts to to take a really aggressive return position against Alcaraz. He was standing, you know, inside the court a lot of the time to receive that serve, to to hit it sort of on the rise before it had a chance to to uh, to really rear up on him. So, yeah, there was a lot of not quite winning ugly, but not winning Alcaraz-y uh, in Madrid. It certainly was a very different run to the title to what we saw last year which was just jaw on the floor beating Nadal and Djokovic back to back in just the most high quality matches imaginable and wiping the floor with Zverev in the final I mean he still wiped the floor with Zverev this this year that was probably (laughs) the only similarity Um, but you know he did it in sublime form last year and then had a disappointing French Open. I think it can... I, I, I think this is good. I think this is good for Carlos Alcaraz. I'm fascinated by what happens in Rome, how hungry he is for Rome. I definitely think he's motivated to play there. He has never played in Rome before, which is one of those just little reminders of how young and inexperienced he still is. Um, I think he's very motivated to play there, not just because... He knows, he, he loves the sport, he understands the sport and he knows that Rome is part of the fabric of the sport's history and he's just like, he's still like a big kid, isn't he? Cause he's excited to play it for the first time. He also will reclaim his number one ranking by um, playing in Rome by virtue of the fact that he didn't play there last year. All he has to do is play one match, he becomes world number one again. That would mean he is the top seed at Roland Garros. I think those are all motivators. How hungry he is to go all the way and play all of that tennis, I don't know. But then... I don't think he knows any other way. He doesn't, I, mean, I yeah. think he's like Nadal like that. I think maybe Ferrero might look at it and think, I'm not sure this is this is. You say that, but Nadal can't, has way, but... had pragmatic moments in his career, hasn't he? Where, you know, he's where, where in the back of his mind he's thought, yeah. okay, I have, I've got the matches I need now. The, the edge. Now. <laughs> he's not tanking, but the edge goes. Yeah, no, I, t- I take that point, but I don't think at nineteen twenty he would have done. And, and I just, I just think, look, I think if Alcaraz gets injured or a twinge, he. he we might see some some common sense, I suppose, in that situation. But I just think he's... I think that excitement that you talk about of getting to play Rome for the first time is going to be pretty intoxicating for him. I, I, what I would say about him, I mean, t- two things that struck me. One about the final was something came to my mind from... Um, I've been watching uh, our, our 
favorite golf podcasters no laying up doing a video uh, from a few years ago where they where they told about the guy neil who's on there told about how he'd once heard a golfer say that before he hits a shot he tries to make himself smile before he hits it to get himself in a really good frame of mind and there was a moment where alcaraz was really trying desperately to to get a break of serve he'd got four break points in a 15 minute game i think in the second set and he couldn't he couldn't sort of take it and and then he just broke into this massive smile and you're thinking this is the most stressful moment here you are smiling at one Carlos Ferrer as they're having the best time and <laughs> can you see what's going on here this is amazing and how on earth is he saving all these break points but i just thought actually that's a very good stress uh um, reliever a, a way of reliever way of getting rid of stress in the moment and uh, and i loved it they do say it releases endorphins don't they just the act of smiling hmm. and it must be soul destroying for the person down the other end of the court who's like haven't haven't i broken you yet why are you why are you, you still so pleased out? with yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the other thing is i i am still fascinated to see how he gets on in rome and in Paris generally, because I still don't think we have seen Carlos Alcaraz, the clay court player yet. I know he's done it in South America and he's done it in Madrid, but they're different. And here he is now. He, yes, he had a decent run at Roland Garros, but, but he very nearly lost to Albert Ramos Vinalas, very nearly. And he also ended up losing to Zverev, who he'd beaten comfortably in Madrid. So this is a proper clay court tournament coming up now. In, in Rome and and I know that might sound a, like a diss of Madrid it's not meant to be but that's kind of how I feel about it in terms of what a real clay court tournament traditionally is and and I'm fascinated to see whether his game translates as spectacularly as it does everywhere else um, so it's going to be a really cool hmm. experiment in, in many ways and he's in a draw with Novak Djokovic praise yeah. be yeah that's bloody time it's only the th- it's only the third time it's happened since Wimbledon last year, and and it's the it's the first time it's happened all year. And yeah, it's it's very exciting to see those two names in a draw. And I just I just think what I would say about what Alcaraz has done over the last couple of weeks by defending his titles in in Barcelona and in Madrid, to me he's. He's doing the thing that great players do in that he's he's building an aura in certain tournaments. And, you know, the tennis tour goes to the same places every year. So if you can have places where you constantly play well, that is great. That means you're going to have times in the year where you're feeling great and where you're going to pick up points. And, you know, just... Just looking at the big three, they, they've always had that. You know, they've always just had tournaments where you know they're going to play well. And Serena always had it, like in Miami, for example. Like, I just think you can build up a bit of a dynasty in these, in these certain places. And he's, it kind of feels like he's already doing that, which is crazy to me. But, you know, I know we joke about Medvedev and how he's won, what is it, 19 titles in 19 different places that that is very admirable in in lots of ways it sort of shows an ability to adapt but I don't know whether it's great for domination to have that kind of record whereas what Alcaraz is doing is is showing that I think he's he's kind of capable of of dominating but as you said we've got those events out of the way now and now we're on to sort of new territory for him to try and conquer I suppose so that's that's a really interesting dynamic, I think, to Alcaraz's season. Yeah. Um, Djokovic has got a half of the draw in Rome, by the way, uh, with Holger Rune potentially as a quarterfinal opponent and Yannick Sinner maybe in the semifinals before he gets to Alcaraz, assuming Alcaraz gets that far. So we are in for a cracking week. Um, no word on uh, who Jan- Leonard Struff has got in uh, Rome. We haven't looked that up. <laughs> but I do think he's going to have a, a very interesting... He's going to be a very interesting player to watch on grass t- this year. I mean, I, I kind of feel like he probably always should have been. But... Um, you know, I'd love to see him and Marvin, his pal in the corner, come over to Wimbledon and start screaming the odds and knocking <laughs> on the doors. I mean, watch out, Rome. Marvin is coming. <laughs> um, well, you say that. Is he not in oh, the yeah. draw? 
I don't think he's in the draw. I mean, he, he he got a wild card into. Did he get a wild card into qualies? No, he didn't get a wild card into Madrid, where maybe he should have done. He had to qualify. Yeah. I don't think his ranking is. Because, of course... Because entry, entry lists for, are done in, yeah. in advance. He's now at a career-high mm. ranking 28 in the world, which is incredible. Mm. That'll get him... Should should just about get him seeded for Roland Garros, regardless of what happens in mm. in Rome. But, but, wow, yeah, it is possible. Because his ranking... This isn't totally out of nowhere for Struff. He's been on a... Obviously, the extent of it is, but he's on a, been on a steady rise all year. Um, so... That does make sense, actually, that his ranking might not have been high enough to get him into the main draw at the time of the entry list. And obviously he's missed the boat on qualifying by accidentally reaching the final in Madrid. (laughs) So all of that lovely Marvin bonus check... Um, no, no check from Rome this week for Marvin. Maybe they'll just have week-long celebrations, although I think Marvin needs to go on a silent retreat or something. Chill out to, a bit. To renew his energy supri- supplies. Not even the greatest hype man in the world, which he actually might be. I mean, surely you've, you, they, they, have, they have to rest, even them. We, have we, a lie we down, do, Marvin. <laughs> yeah. We do have to rest occasionally. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court says in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right then, that's the singles. What about the doubles? Uh, I mean, first of all, I can tell you that uh, Andrei Rublev and Karen Hatchinov won the doubles final 10-3 in a match tiebreak against um, Rohan Bahpana and Matthew Ebden, and they subsequently gave lovely speeches on the court uh, to explain how happy they are at having won those titles and participated in the final. Um, that was followed the following day on Sunday with a doubles final between Victoria Azarenka and Beatrice Haddadmeyer, a scratch pair up against uh, much more familiar partners, Jessica Begula and Coco Goff. And Azarenka and Haddadmeyer won 6-1-6-4 to win that title. So that was a, a heck of an achievement, Catherine, in, in, in its own right. Yeah, just on that performance, I, I think Azarenka in that, Doubles final might have been the performance of the week in terms of tennis. Really? I mean, it was, she could not miss. It was astonishing. Wow. It's quite rare for a doubles match to be really one-sided, let alone um, in a final yeah. like that against Goff and Pagula, who'd been playing great all week. And they just didn't, they just weren't in the match because Hazarenka just walked on court and just, seized it she said yeah i'm here now this is all her dad Maya was good but 
I, d- I didn't really notice how good because Azarenka was just right in the zone. It was astonishing. Um, and then Goffin Bagula had a bit of a rally at the start of the second set. And then Azarenka just went, oh, I'm not having this. And then started being brilliant again. It was the performance of the week, I think. It was breathtaking, seriously. Mm. Potentially the the performance performance of a woman with a point to prove, potentially. Mm. So they've won the title. Uh, Catherine, you're courtside at this point, uh, presenting live TV coverage for Prime in the UK. What happened next? So what we do is we usually um, come in, myself and the, the pundits, Daniela Huntikova, Greg Rosetsky, we start talking over the, the picture. Because I, I don't know whether we mentioned this before, there's quite a lot of faff in tennis. Uh, <laughs> and so there's a sort of 10-minute period where after uh, the, the the last point is played in a final where a, a stage gets constructed and, you know, ball kids and photographers and lines people and umpires and all the rest of it, court furniture gets put in position, interviews get get conducted, um, players go and celebrate with their team a little bit. There's a period of faff uh, during which we're just talking over the talking over the pictures and saying, isn't this lovely? Bracing ourselves for the confetti cannon to go off. Um, and then once the presentation ceremony starts... Uh, I then kind of throw to that and say, uh, we'll now get the chance to hear from both sets of finalists. And um, our arrangement uh, with both tours is that um, the winners also, once they've received their their trophies, they then meander over and do a do a live interview with us on Prime in our presentation position in the corner of the court, which is amazing. It's a brilliant position. It looks really cool we've you know we've had some great interviews all week and one of the best actually was with Hashanov and Rublev the the day before it was it was it was a real good vibe zone when they came over after after winning the the men's doubles title so I threw to the presentation ceremony just as Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula were being announced onto the stage and I said We'll have Azarenka and, and Haddad Maya come and talk to us here, but we'll also now get the chance to hear from from Coco Goff and Jessica Bagula. And we didn't. They walked up to the stage where Feliciano Lopez and various other tournament officials are there. They receive their trophies, um, their runners-up trophies, um, and then they're told that, that they, they look confused. They're obviously waiting to be handed the microphones, as is normal customary as was was on the um on the script and they're not what happens then is victoria zarenka and beatrice had admire called up to receive their winners trophies they too then look confused um aren't given any microphones they are ushered the four of them onto the the stage the podium together to have very brief photo take photos taken all four of them during which time there's quite a lot of chit chat between them and then they're ushered off court and that's that and they don't come over to us for an interview Azarenka and and Haddad Meyer they look in a a a desperate hurry to get off court and none of us had any idea what was going on so just to be clear we didn't know whether this was the players not not wanting to speak or something else was pressing but I mean this is several hours before the men's singles finals about to take place there was plenty of time it's not like the tournament was rushed or anything like that um the, so the players depart the court and within a few minutes and, and there's a lot of chatter as to where are the women and why are they not giving speeches and shortly after this final takes place Coco Goff tweets wasn't given the chance to speak after the final today but thank you to the fans for supporting us in women's tennis this week. Thanks to Jessica Pagula for always keeping it fun on the court and hitting unreal clutch shots. Lastly, big congratulations, Vika and Bia. Also, thanks to my team and Jess's team, of course. Also, for the ball kids, tournament staff, and everyone else who works hard behind the scenes. Twitter format doesn't allow me to say everything I would have said during the speech if we had one, but just wanted to say I'm thankful. Victoria Azarenka then tweeted, Hard to explain to Leo, Leo's her young son, that mommy isn't able to say hello to him at the trophy ceremony. 
Um, that was then retweeted, or rather the Coco Goff tweet was retweeted by Ons Jabur, who said, so unfortunate that you were not given a chance to address the crowd and your opponents. This is sad and unacceptable. So from what we're hearing, Catherine, this is not the players deciding they don't want to talk. This is them not being given the chance to talk by the tournament in the same way the men were after the final. Correct. What's going on? Correct. And the tournament, despite requests um, from from every angle to give an explanation for what happened, the tournament have not given any such explanation either on the record or or off the record. Nothing. They've remained completely silent of it, which leave silent on it, which leaves us only to to speculate. Um, I, I find that incredibly disappointing from them you know they've been given the opportunity to try and explain what looks like an appalling and completely misjudged decision and they're not even (laughs) respecting the situation enough to try and explain it they're just hoping it goes away which is feeble I think um look the the background to this story is I can't believe I'm going to say this. Cake gate. <laughs> um, yeah. What's cake gate? Oh, Matt, do you want to do cake gate? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I feel like cake gate is going to come up in Madrid every year because Carlos Alcaraz mm. and Arena Sabalenka celebrate their birthdays during Madrid. They're both the 5th of May. And actually, we had it a couple of years ago where... Sabalenka didn't get a cake and Alcaraz did and look it's cake I think everyone at the time sort of thought oh that's a bit weird but maybe didn't think too much of it also uh this year Alcaraz gets an enormous cake I mean absolutely enormous several tears encore ceremony he bites into it it's a whole thing you know it's all front and center look at Carlos Alcaraz's cake. Sabalenka, who I don't think was playing that day, got some kind of cake behind the scenes and it was much smaller. And a Twitter user, uh, Slayla Fritz, great name, uh, put on <laughs> put on Twitter a, a side-by-side uh, and saying the difference in cake size is astounding. And it was a picture of Alcaraz with his huge cake and Sabalenka with her smaller cake. And that was, quote, retweeted by Victoria Azarenka saying, couldn't be more accurate on the treatment. So that's a pretty serious tweet actually from Azarenka there and I think reading between the lines the idea is it's not about the cake it's about what the cake represents which saying it out loud sounds (laughs) sounds stupid but I think the I think the feeling is that the women feel that they are treated as second rate in Madrid examples such as getting a smaller cake and you know some scheduling issues um remember last year the women's final was between the men's singles semi-finals you know it felt very much like it was it was second rate second class and i think this has probably been building for a few years this general feeling that the women are not getting the same treatment as the men by the tournament and as Catherine said, with no explanation at all from the tournament, we are left to, you know, speculate and assume what the reason is for why they weren't allowed to speak. And it, it feels like too big of a coincidence that Azarenka was the one who sent that tweet and then is the one who's not allowed to speak in the doubles final. It, it feels like those two events are connected. And of course, it's an awful move by the tournament because all they are doing is reinforcing Azarenka's point by you know sort of gagging her and not allowing her to have her say so deeply deeply troubling I think there was also in terms of sort of adding to that tapestry of potential explanation in the women's singles final the day before Iga Svantec in her speech had had a pop at being scheduled to play 
one of her matches at, at one o'clock in in the morning, as is not hugely uncommon in Madrid. She, you know, perhaps wasn't the best moment for her to say that in terms of, you know, sore loserdom. It was it was a salty comment at the time, but you know, she absolutely has a point that on scheduling. I don't think tennis players should be having to play tennis at one o'clock in the morning. Um, and obviously that doesn't only happen to, to women. Um, it happens a lot to everybody in Madrid. But in this case, it happened to Iga Svantec and she feels, she wanted to make the point that she feels that it impacted her her chances in the final. So you had this image from the day before of Liciano Lopez there and the rest of the, the tournament officials looking pretty sour-faced while Svantec is there. Um, with the microphone in her hand, using that moment to to express her displeasure at some of the treatment from the tournament. Um, and look, it's not about the cake. This tournament has work to do to prove that it values women. So much work to do. The men's singles final featured models as ball girls. I don't know why they were wearing basketball shorts for that match. If that was an an attempt to respond to some of the criticism about having model ball girls and having them wearing what they've been wearing all week, it was a, a feeble response, an utterly feeble and pretty irrelevant response. This tournament, I, I know it, is under different ownership now. It's now owned by by IMG, and this was something that happened under previ- the previous ownership of Jan Tiriak. But as recently as 2018, the tournament direct the then tournament director Jan Tiriak tried to sue the WTA in order to not pay equal prize money. He was unsuccessful, and he's no longer involved in the tournament. But that is recent history. That is in the DNA of the tournament. You know, the scheduling of the women's final last year, that was 12 months ago. You know, the, the the cake does tell a story. This tournament needs to be proving to female players that it values women. And gagging them is appalling, is absolutely appalling. And, and for anybody thinking, oh, what does it matter? All they would do is, you know... Thank the ball kids and the officials. Thank their teams and say, say you know, well done to the other team. They they played really well. Well, first of all, it's I just think it's an important pillar of tennis. Sometimes, sometimes TV people behind the scenes get quite frustrated about the fact that you know double ceremonies can go on for a long time because both members of the team are, are allowed to speak and there's not really any time limits on how long they speak for and I do understand that sometimes when you're on a on a schedule for TV it can be frustrating but I really think it's an important staple um, it's an important principle that all four of them should get to speak that's something you you earn especially if the men are doing exactly well, the well, exactly. same but just as a matter before. of principle generally i think it's important and i also think it sort of justifies it's so brutal that that the people that lose the final have to stay on court for the ceremony mm. of the person that beat them the team that beat them it's a slight you know sort of mitigation for that isn't it that you get yeah. to speak and thank your team it's also important for sponsors you know, all of those four players will have had would have had sponsors to whom, you know, them being able to stand there and give a speech and thank their sponsors and thank the tournament sponsors. All of that stuff matters. It's a tradition in tennis for a reason. And it it was just a an appalling move and I, I hope desperately that they regret it and it was just a an in the moment miscalculation. But come out and say that. Come out and say that, and you know, we, and and state some in, intent to 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 rectify this for the future, an acknowledgement of the tournament's history, and that that this this feeling among WTA players exists. Hmm. 
I, I have contacted the WTA and asked for comments. I've yet to receive a response on that. I have also messaged Feliciano Lopez, who's somebody I knew from the years in which he was competing at the sharp end of the Queen's tournament. Um, and... Uh, I haven't had a response from him at this point. I mean, that was only earlier today. I accept that this is the day after the tournament is concluded and, and they're very heavy weeks, but I haven't had a response yet. Um, and I should also add that he is the figurehead of a big operation there and exactly where his role begins and ends is difficult for us from the outside to decipher as to whether he's involved in scheduling, whether he's involved in or heavily involved in a decision like whether the players have a say on following a ceremony or not. But he certainly knows what the protocol is because he's won enough trophies and, and very much enjoyed taking the mic whenever he has. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think uh, an explanation is, is required and required as quickly as possible. As soon as we hear one, we'll bring it to you. Um, away from Rome... Andy Murray has got a win at a tennis tournament. It was at challenger level, at that extraordinary level challenger tournament in Aix-en-Provence in uh, France. And he beat Tommy Paul in three sets. I, I watched it whilst walking around Cheltenham on a day off <laughs> with the family. Uh, I just sort of switched on for the final set and to, to see the final scenes. And it, I mean, they do run the most fantastic tournaments in in france at pretty much every level and this was rampacked with people really close into the court where the galleries of, of fans and and murray's there with his with his mom and and i think matt little might have been there and his agent and they're all close to the court and you can see how much it meant to andy murray i've got to be honest i really wasn't expecting him to win that tournament given what we'd seen on him from clay on clay so far this season i even thought he might pull the cord on the clay court season and not bother with rome and paris the way things were going this this feels like a you know, I don't know whether it'll mean anything, but I tell you what it does mean. It means he can still bloody well play tennis to a high level. And it means ranking points. He's uh, back inside the world's top 50, isn't it? And I increasingly think this is all about getting seeded for Wimbledon. That's what I think this clay court mm. season is about and why That's he's remaining committed to it. And also, yeah, get you know, getting, getting wins and trying to get some form together, yeah, think- but... That's big, I think, really, because it must be hot, really disconcerting to be a player of, of his history losing badly to, 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 to players that he in the past would have beaten fairly efficiently. Um, so anyway, great, great win for him. A um, few other small lines from over the course of the week. Well, they're not small lines. Did we say that Rafael Nadal was out of Rome? Well, he is. He's not playing Rome. Um, and uh, and that means that if he's going to play Roland Garros, he's either got to have one week of a tournament in the week before, or he's going to come in literally cold into uh, not literally cold. <laughs> well, he's going to come in cold. The weather can be unpredictable in Paris in May, David. <laughs> he's going to come in literally without any matches. Do you think Geneva, That's what Geneva are in. preparing their Nadal red carpet, <laughs> rubbing their hands together? Um. I don't think he'll play Is that he week play? before. I don't think he'll play that Is week Is he going to play Roland Garros? That's a, I mean, I think I don't know. if I, I had think... to guess now, I'd say no. I mm. don't think he plays if he doesn't think he can win. And I don't see how at this age and physicality he can win having not played for, what will it be, 18 weeks? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... This announcement came with a with a slight positive. He, he he did he did mention and point to some improvement that he'd seen in the last few days since his his previous update about trying a new treatment. Um, it was a bit kind of triggering this this one because they didn't they didn't bother to record a new video announcing it. They 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 just put out a statement, but they included the same still from the previous video <laughs> along with <laughs> along with the message so i was like oh god it's it's this again you know it was sort of preparing you for the worst and obviously it is bad news that he's that he's out of rome but there is i suppose a, a slight bit of you know something to hang a bit of hope on in this message whereas there kind of wasn't in the other one but yeah i mean 
He's only won five matches since Wimbledon last year, Rafael Nadal. And we're talking about him trying to win seven in in two weeks, you know, and it's a completely unprecedented situation because, as Catherine said, Nadal's, I don't think Nadal's going to Roland Garros just to be at Roland Garros. And, you know, I'm not sure I want that. Look, I don't want Roland Garros without Rafael Nadal, of course, but I don't want to see a, an injured there for the taking Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros either I think that will feel very uncomfortable and and he will feel uncomfortable like that so it just feels like such a such a long way still for him to go with with so little time Hmm. yeah it does Uh, fingers crossed that it that something can happen that will make it possible for him to play and be competitive but uh, yeah that does feel pretty unlikely just at the moment Uh, one final note for this week's show Um, you may have seen a story about the Russian player Veronika Kudamatova who who had a decent run at the tournament um, being sponsored by one of the country's oil and gas giants Tatneft she's been wearing a, a logo on her kit throughout the tournament and there, there was some discussion as to what you know is that allowed is, especially given the the announcements by Wimbledon recently that uh, they're going to require players to sign a declaration not to have financial support from uh, Russian companies and uh, and to to wear patches of that ilk and so she was asked about it. She says, I'm allowed to do it during this tournament and on the tour generally, and uh, and I'm just not allowed to do it at Wimbledon, so I'm going to take it off there. So we we decided to check with Wimbledon and, um, and with the Lawn Tennis Association who are involved in all the British tournaments that are put on and require this declaration to be signed by the Russian players and the Belarusian players ahead of competing if they want to compete at those tournaments. And basically the the gist of it is the the registration form that Russian and Belarusian players have got to sign to compete states that while they're participating in the championships at Wimbledon and, and the same will apply at the other British tournaments at the time in the lead up, the player will not be in receipt of funding from Russian or Belarusian states, including sponsorship from companies operated or controlled by the Russian and or Belarusian states. Um, so that means they can't wear these logos and they can't receive money. The, the question I would love to know is, well, yes, you, they might not be able to earn any money from, from your tournament for those two weeks, but what if they did a deal with that company that, that compensates them and doubles their money before the tournament or after the tournament? Uh, and and the gist is, I mean, basically, they they just don't have the jurisdiction on anything outside of those two weeks. So it does feel like there's a bit of a loophole there. I mean, I suppose you might say, well, there's no visibility for for those companies during Wimbledon as long as they're signing this thing and not wearing a patch and talking about those companies. But actual funding, I don't see how you can stop them getting the same amount just at different times of the year. I mean, and that's that's basically the fact. Um, but that's uh, one story that was uh, bubbling up over the last uh, week, and we'll see how it develops. Now, for us, we'll be back with you in a week's time for the next regular edition of the Tennis Podcast to update you with Rome. Catherine is going to be going out there about a week today, aren't you, Catherine, uh, to cover the tournament for Prime uh, courtside once again. So we'll have three shows for you over the course of the second week of Rome. Our next one will be next Monday. But before then, we're going to have a tennis relived for you. The Nick Bolletieri story is going to be recording this week and we'll have it for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. So if you'd like to become a friend, you can get immediate access to, I think, about eight shows that we've already recorded this year. Q&As with the three of us and Friends of the Show. Um, as well as several other tennis relived editions. We had The Movement, the story of the post-Agassi Sampras era from a couple of weeks ago. We had the Monica Seles story. Uh, Matt, Catherine and I are working on several more for the rest of the year as well. And becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast really is your way of supporting everything we do and enabling it to happen um and uh, yeah you get loads and loads of extra podcasts as part of it and uh you can become a friend from 50 pounds a year or five pounds a month you can also get a shout out you can get an intro to the show uh so do become a friend of the tennis podcast the link to do show to do so is in the show notes to this one 
we have an episode mascot. In fact, we have two. Alfie and Hunter, owned by Jonathan. Alfie is eight. Hunter is six. They are both... They are brother and sister miniature schnauzers. Is that right, Catherine? Schnauzers, yeah. Okay, excellent. Mm. Alfie's big sister... Uh, and definitely the boss of the house, uh, who's happiest shilling out on the coat on the couch, uh, getting belly rubs. Hunter is the troublemaker of the pair and has endless amounts of energy. If it was up to him, he'd just play all day. They, and they do look very happy. They do, and well groomed as well. I tell you what, those in in this photo at least, and who knows how representative this is of general life. They. Are, those are recently bathed and groomed dogs, and they are beautiful. Uh, I noticed that the the mallard um, toy in the background is one that I recognise very well. That's one of Rosie's favourites. It makes a sort oh. of noise. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so there we are. Alfie, Hunter, lovely to have you as mascots of the tennis podcast. Uh, we've got our own personal mascots as well for the year. Mine is Maisie. Catherine's is Xenia. Matt's is Darwin. Billie Jean has her own sponsors. Uh, they are Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, uh, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And shout outs are back. They are, yes. We've got some very good... Shout outs today, starting with Anna Keating in Gloucestershire. Right, Anna. We know Anna, don't we? Anna's had a shout out before, and I think I gave her Ronan Keating, so I need to not give her Ronan Keating again. She, she does specifically say no relation. <laughs> <laughs> um, like Anna Ivanovich. Anna Ivanovich. Oh, that's one N, isn't it? Anna Kornikova. There we go. Well done, Very Matt. Good. Okay. Uh, you, you can tell I've been doing volunteer Anna research. Anna Vitadze. <laughs> oh, Catherine, oh, yes. that's very Nailed impressive. It. Cheers, Anna. Thanks very Thanks, much for being Anna. a friend. We've also got Roz Vanderswet in Wollongong in Australia. Hello, oh, Roz. Word, what a name. That, Roz is my mum's name, or my mum, the shortened version of my mum's name. So, great name. And Roz says, I miss Ash Barty on the tour and I have a request for Catherine. In her excellent Aussie accent, could I get an Ash Barty for old time's sake, please? Uh, Ash Barty? Barty party? (laughs) Oh, I miss that. I miss her now. Uh, Thank you, Roz. Roz, Great name. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And finally, but by no means least, we have Barbara Law. In Solihull. (laughs) Barbara says, I'm the proud mum of David on the podcast team. I listen to all the podcasts. I'd be in trouble if I didn't. I love them. (laughs) Well, this can be like Carlos Alcaraz's Madrid title, which he wrote on the camera was for his mum. This this podcast is for your mum, David. Oh, how lovely. Oh, thank you very much, Mum. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Thank you to our lovely mascots, uh, Alfie and Hunter, and everybody for listening to this show. Uh, We'll be back with you in another week's time. Don't forget that Friends of the Pod show about Nick Volatieri. That's coming your way in the next few days. But for now, from us, we'll see you soon. 